Hi, welcome to Coffee and Closers. I'm Nikolai Bedor, and I want to personally invite you to join me and one of today's top performing sales stars for a cup of coffee and authentic conversation. And our collective goal is that you will walk away with tangible knowledge that you can apply to your sales efforts today. Are you ready? Grab a cup, fill it up, and let's get into another episode of Coffee and Closers. Let me welcome you to Coffee and Closers. All right, guys, this is a special treat, as I said before, but um, here's why. The, 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 the title of this episode is called Engineering an Empire. Why? Well, today's guest uh, graduated magna cum laude uh, as a mechanical engineer from the University of Minnesota. Did you guys know that? Never sold a thing in his life. He had an opportunity back in the day um, from a guy named Archie who ran a small little startup called SPS Commerce. They were about $2 million in revenue, and they gave, they gave Charlie a chance. They gave him a shot. Has anyone been given a shot that you maybe at the time thought, what am I doing here, and turn it into, into wine? Yeah. Charlie took them from $2 million to $200 million. Anyone done that? Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> $200 million, uh, in revenue into the na- and, and publicly traded. Um, he, has, he, has, he has led... He has inspired hundreds of reps that have gone on to greatness. We are going to learn a ton today. Please put your hands together for Charlie Hackerson. I decided to bring my radio voice for today. <laughs> Good. So you see what I did there, right? I, I pumped up. I overinflated the engineer. So I think that maybe we, we should probably put this in your words. I would love to hear your story of, you know, engineer is going to be my career choice all the way to the sales success that you have had as, a, as of your whole entire life. Could you walk us through Charlie's story? Well, first, I need to least clear one thing up. The phrase living legend is actually more of a synonym for fossilized remains. So, <laughs> so That right there is worth the ticket price, right? <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, um, life is a series of doing the things you said you would never do. One thing after the other. When I was in college as an engineer, uh, I ended up having a job interview and it was at Terrain, and they do air conditioning systems down in Winona and La Crosse. And when I had that interview, I quickly learned that it was a technical sales job, and I didn't know that going into it. And I told the guy, I'm I'm never going to be in sales. No, I'm an engineer. And it just turns out that you're a product of your own wiring. Uh, My dad sold for 45 years. My mom was a teacher. So what I ended up doing as a result of that was just a a nice, awesome hybrid cocktail of that, which is teaching people the art of selling. And that's what I did for nearly 16 years at SPS, and that's what I do now uh, in my consultancy. Great. How many, um, like, like me, you know, active salespeople that, that wear the title salesperson, they love sales, they've been doing it a while. How many people in the audience like that? Okay. All right. And how many people would say that sales is not their first passion? They maybe found themselves in a leadership position or in sales. They got to do it. Um, how many people more like Charlie? All right, great. So I was listening to your podcast, Octane, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to Octane, please write that down. Go listen. It's fantastic. Um, there was something, so there's some sound bites that I took from that that I'm really interested in <laughs> hearing more of. Um, you said, you know, you, you've never, when you were brought into SPS, you know, you said, I've never sold anything. I've never sold anything in business. 
but you said something interesting. You said, but I have bought. I have bought things in business. Um, and you've built a ge revenue generating machine off of that process that you designed. Would you go there with us and dissect that process and explain to us exactly what you built and how it's been successful? Um, I, having bought a lot of stuff, I've been sold to by a lot of people. And if you ever want to learn how to sell something, go buy for a while. Because <laughs> you'll understand that most salespeople make their lives really difficult and take their own knees out around every corner. And, you know, when I looked at it, I was talking about this with one of my clients the other day. The first demonstration that I got of our product was in 2014. I started SPS in 2012. This was after our public offering. This was after we were the top stock on the NASDAQ in 2013. We were re-architecting our product and I had to look at it because we showed it at sales kickoff. Right. It never helped me to even know the features of our product because that's not what connects with buyers. Certainly not for the 95% of the market, the people, the majority that's out there looking for business outcomes. They're not looking for features. They don't care what your product is, what it's called. They simply want to know, does it solve a valid business problem for me? And so as someone who bought a lot of stuff, I just try to help people figure out that it ain't some crazy game. Buyers aren't toying with you as a sales rep. Buyers are just simply trying to figure out how to solve the many problems that are swirling around in their day, and they're trying to figure out how to get done what's in their charter to get done. And it's all about figuring out what that is and just seeing if you can tag along with some of that stuff. That's great. Um, so when you, you, you're doing your consulting, you, you did this at SPS and I want to go back there, but you're doing, uh, you're doing some consulting now for high growth companies like Foodsby, Sight Improve, uh, Sezzle, you know, Field Nation. Something that you and I share, and I don't know if we've talked about this, is me as a salesperson, you as a leader, is I love, so many people, they, they, they take a, an, a gig or a project and they're told what to do. Charlie, here's what we need you to do, right? Or Mikolai, here's your territory, go, go do it. But you and I have this shared thing where we love to find that chink in the armor. We love to see that is an opportunity that a lot of people around me are not seeing. I'm going to go forward with it, I'm going to maximize it, and I'm going to build around it. And you've done that your whole life. Can you explain to us kind of what you look for, when you see it, and then how do you accelerate from that point? So it's really fun because I see a lot of SPS, former SPS people in the room. Um, and what we did really effectively was small business consulting. Like we talked to these small businesses about what they wanted to try to get done and figured out if there was a way we could help them. And so what I do now is just in that same natural rhythm. There's nothing complicated about it. It's meeting the clients with where they're at, figuring out based on what my experience has been and bringing this method to not just, you know, six different areas inside of SPS, but now 10 different clients things really just pop out at you about where they should go next. And when you're in a growth mode, any misstep that you make is huge opportunity cost. And so if you just simply know what steps to take, first, second, and third, you're gonna always put yourself in a better position. A lot of people get distracted by the new shiny object and they lose focus on the thing that's actually driving the core of their revenue and helping people stay focused and see these are the things you should be really thinking about, first, second, and third right now. Get the big stuff right. 
I actually see one of my former employees, Kirby Carr, in the room, and he was always famous for saying, let's figure out the most important thing you need to be doing right now. And that's so important when you're a small company because you only have so many bullets in the gun. Right, that's great. So speaking of Kirby, where's Kirby at? Um, yeah. Um, speaking of Kirby, and I know Kirby from, oh, that's a side conversation. Um, you have trained, you've hired, you've interviewed thousands, arguably. Um, you've trained hundreds at this point and hired you know, a majority of them. So you've probably seen, on the, on the front of hiring, how many people here are in a hiring position? Managers, leaders, whatever. Anyone want to know what to find? Because my question for you, and I'd, I'd selfishly like to know is, what are the top traits of the top performers that you have accelerated over the years? Well, everybody in the room that's ever worked for me could probably say it with me right now, because <laughs> I was very obvious as to this is what works. Uh, it's curious, you can say it with me if you want, curious, team-oriented problem solvers. <laughs> and that's easy. And I, what I find too often is that, especially when people get started trying to build a sales force, yeah. and they get to that point where they feel like they need to scale up and hire a bunch of people, they create these gigantically hard to find unicorn job profiles by assembling all the best traits of all their best people and trying to find this superhero person that doesn't exist in the world, which makes it impossible for them to ever find enough people. And so the, one of the first things I do with a lot of my clients is take a look at what their hiring profile is, take out about 80% of it, and say, what is your culture? What are you looking for? And how do you get it down to something that you're not missing the best possible cultural fits that could be walking through your door? Everybody wants to find this superhero. And quite honestly, if you get into a mode where you can develop your people, find the best cultural fits, and find the foundation that you know is going to be successful, and use the learning institution that you can create. So are you saying with that that your profile is you know, coachable, I mean, winner's attitude, so on and so forth. So, so are you saying that your profile is somebody that you can, you, you can teach anybody if they have those intangibles to follow your process and they can be successful? Yeah, you, the one thing you really can't teach is genuine curiosity. And if someone is genuinely curious, they're going to get all the benefits. The, the, the human connection they create is on a different level than people who aren't. And you can't train that one. Well, that one is just in somebody or it isn't. Um, the other one is when you hire people and you expect to grow them into more advanced selling roles, um, having people that are genuinely motivated by solving problems in teams, as they sell bigger and bigger things, they're going to be involving more and more people in their selling. And salespeople that attempt to control the minutia of all details do not sell well in team environments. So having people that are really team-oriented in their selling is what gives you the most portability upward. Like, if you're selling a simple thing to one person, then maybe a salesperson can figure that out on their own. But a lot of what people are doing are highly disruptive when they're in growth mode, and you end up needing to be a, there's a lot more complexity and subtlety and savvy to it than that. Okay, and so, for, for some of these folks that are that are you know maybe younger, we've I worked for big companies and have been assigned a territory and have been assigned people that I have to work with, right? But, but something I love is 
for some of the startups that we've helped lead sales at, where it was basically they gave me a blank canvas and said, go build it. I love that because I have a process, you've got a process, I've got a thing that I follow. What about those people that are new to management that maybe took on a turd of a territory or a team that has one hot shot who doesn't ever show up to meetings, you know, a couple new folks that are timid, a couple people in the middle, how do you take that average ball of okay and turn that into greatness? Um, I think that it's always a journey. Um, there's nothing you can do day one that instantly makes a difference except for begin to create a common language and a common vocabulary around how you describe what excellence feels like. That's the first thing that you can establish. Beyond that, you need to then figure out ways that you can create a culture that aspires to the maximum of human potential, surround people with success by highlighting and recognizing successes that also emulate your standard and definition of excellence. And instead of focusing on what people aren't doing, highlight those things that people are doing and give people the positive recognition that surrounds everyone with success, that causes everybody to jump on board faster. I've had a lot of time to reflect on what we did, how we did it, and why we did it um, during this gigantic hypergrowth swing. And I really, I, one of the biggest things that just jumps out at me is what we did at our sales kickoffs. Nearly every sales kickoff that I have been to that I did not run is product describing the new features of the product. Right. Okay. Our sales kickoffs, the flagship moments in them were reps on stage talking about the deals that they won, how they won them, why they won them, and helping everybody learn to create, instead of a culture of survival, we were creating a culture of learning and collaboration. And success was just around you at all times. Success begets success. Culture is a big deal. And um, my episode five of my podcast is called Style Points. And I highly, highly recommend, if you are trying to create a culture that has a foundation to get ready for hypergrowth, I highly recommend that you listen to that because that one helps you understand how you can take the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and instead of focus on the most basic of human emotions, flip the pyramid upside down versus normal and turn it into something that you can truly be proud of. Well, on that note, um, something that you had, when we had met a year ago, I've been trying to get this guy on the show forever, kind of a big deal, you know, small fry, big deal, um, is you had said something outside of the, the walls of SPS, outside of your company walls that I, I found extremely intriguing. You talk about a, uh, a culture of success, and one of them was part of the, I don't know if it was part of the kickoff or whatever, but you would take your teams and you would go and volunteer. You would go pack boxes of food for the needy, and you said there is something that it took, it went from outside the walls, and now success was all around us. And when they came back to those phones or those computers, you just watched fire in their eyes. Can you describe how, where'd you come, you know, why, why that idea? When did you start that? And can you talk through all of the good that's come through it, not just revenue wise, but also community wise? Um. 
if you think about the pyramid for a minute, and you think about the top of the pyramid of what humans aspire to be, it's called self-actualization. And every human has a different form of what they believe gets them to their place, right? But there can really be no debate that if you get to a really cool place, you have both a responsibility and an opportunity to give back, to make the world a better place. And you can actually start there when you're building your culture. You can make the point obvious to everybody. We are going to have so much success that we're going to have a responsibility to give back. We are going to have so much that this abundance is going to allow us the opportunity to make the world a better place. It sets the tone in a way that cannot be denied. It even became this thing where, um, like every sales department, when you do your mid-year review, it's like halftime of a sporting event, right? You want to get together, you want to talk about the first half, and then you want to plan for the second half, and everybody gets all fired up. Probably goes up for a giant happy hour, blows off some steam, and then goes forward, right? That's the normal rhythm of what happens. Somewhere along the way, our mid-year became something very different. And I want to describe this one to you because the, this, of all the things that we achieved, this is still the thing I'm most proud of. Somewhere along the way, we decided that we were going to do this crazy little auction. We looked at each other and said, you know, we have 15,000 retail vendors as customers. What if we asked them? At its conclusion, we raised $50,000 in a single night. We had over 1,000 items up for bid. We had everybody giving their time and talents as things that we would do, either live auction, silent auction. But here's the point. We sold more because we did this. We talked to our customers about their products, not ours. When we did it, we conveyed that we were human beings and allowed them to take one giant step toward us. We changed the entire market dynamic of the industry we were in by conveying that we were human beings. And uh, we did a lot of good along the way, too. Thank you for sharing that. That was amazing. I'm going to give, I'm going to ask for a round of applause. I have so many questions for you, but that was something I needed you to share. I had never heard that before. And the impact, like I said, community-wise, obviously, you know, internally and externally, I, thank you for sharing that. All right, so that's the GUI. Now we got to talk about the hard. In your, speaking of style points, which by the way, 
I, I laughed out loud. I think I woke our, 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 my kids like almost a year, just under a year, and I think I woke them up from laughing so hard when I heard this. He was talking about QBRs, quarterly business reviews, or if you got to sit in a room with a manager or whatever, and you're the sales rep or you're the leader, and you're looking at people and your style points, if I could do this, is like kind of dodging the direct questions of, so you're really under your quota. You know, I think that's right. And how he described that. And then the excuse was, well, the product sucks, or the market's this, or the economy. And basically what he said is, no, 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 no. Those are just bad metrics. Those are metrics that, that just don't make sense. No one's going to hit those metrics. It doesn't matter, you know, bearable. It doesn't matter. Could you describe, so I, I do want to get back into when you walk into a company right now, or maybe let's forget SPS for a bit. You walk in now. Metrics are a big one. But, but the story behind the metrics, if we could start there and then build into metrics that actually motivate me as a sales rep, accelerate me, and inspire me to, to achieve bigger. So here's what is interesting. Because I talked about surrounding people with success, right? Yeah. And success begets success. And if you want to create hyper growth, people have to believe in the dream of where all this is headed, right? And typical when I walk into environments that either quotas are done one size fits all about 20% of the people are making their number um, and there are definite growth goals that they have to hit but they're having a hard time because they've got one or two people on every team that are actually hitting or exceeding those people are the ones that everyone plays to and they don't know how to make the next 80% of the sales team 20% better right and so those are the environments that I walk into. It's a combination of working on skills to get the next 80%, 20% better based on a standard of excellence, but it's also taking a look at where your target is set because the target's a fictitious number. It just is. People come up with this number because they want to take their number and divide it by a bunch of people, but they <laughs> d completely delude themselves on how how quickly people can ramp, that's the biggest sin, but also how many people they legitimately need to be able to go do this. So, it's a, so the first thing is just really to reset. And me being a math guy, it was always a lot easier for me to be able to figure out how to set targets that I knew people could achieve because numbers were on my side. So in our world, the targets were actually set in a place where about two-thirds to 75% of the people made their number. Now, we, our on-target earnings, we're not. Our on-target earnings were below market. But when that many people are in accelerators, you have success all around you. And so I also posted scoreboards on my door for all to see that at least two-thirds, if not three-quarters, of the people were making the number. And even during the interview process, and many of you in this room went through this, if you asked about culture, I actually took you to my door, had you point to a person, and I would walk you immediately to that person to talk about culture. In so doing, I challenge them to do that at every other company they would be talking to. We created culture as a hiring weapon. It didn't matter what our on-target earnings were. It was irrelevant. 
On-target earnings is the biggest bait and switch and the biggest irresponsible thing I see sales leaders do in the market is actually bait and switch people with on-target earnings that nobody ever really hits. They just throw a huge number out there that looks like it's possible. It's within the reason of being possible. And if it could be true, it's not a lie. But the real reps that you want know when you're trying to hide something. They can feel it. 100% transparency. Factuals on your, are on your side, use them. That's brilliant. So I'm getting the hook. Um, I can see it coming. I only have one more question left. I have 12 others, but you know, I guess I gotta give you guys your chance, right? <laughs> um, I've made a couple promises to some people that have never been to coffee and closers before. They found that the title, I don't know if it's the title or the vibe of salespeople, or I don't know what it is, um, just uh, uh, you know, unappealing. And so I said, you know what, come to this one. Come, come actually see, learn sales from a person who's never sold a thing in his life. Um, I guess my closing question is, what is the advice that you would give or inspiration that you would give for someone like Matt um, that sales is not his natural calling, but he's in a position where he has to do it? As an engineer, how would you tell another fellow engineer mindset, here's how you can find success? Um, Matt's right there, by the way. Matt? Hi, Matt. <laughs> so here's what I'd tell you, Matt. <laughs> um, people have a stigma in their head for what selling is. And I used to have to go on campus and tell a lot of college kids who were not considering a career in sales based on that stigma, sales is solving problems. And if you're not interested in learning what the problems are that your clients have to learn if you have a solution for them, then all you're going to be doing is giving the same pitch over and over and over again. Kill me now. <laughs> Honest to God. If I had to give the same pitch over and over again, I literally, I've told my people over the years, you have license to have me snuffed <laughs> if, I, if I had to do that. <laughs> okay. I'm Italian, I could maybe make that happen, but anyway. And, here, and here's what I told him the other day, too, is um, when I would go out on the road and sell with my reps, and I got, to, I got to show them how to do this, how you can get to yes by asking nothing but questions. There's not a single person that I have ever sold to, I don't think, that has felt that they're being sold to. And I've never felt like I'm selling to them. I've always just felt like if, you have a, if you've got a problem, and it's a legitimate problem, and if I have a solution that could help that, let's talk about it and let's figure out if it, we can make it work for everybody. And it's just learning about their day, and then you're not really selling. You know? Selling is um, the connection that you create. And if it's genuine and it's based on truth and it's based on integrity and it's based on, you know, if you've got a product that can really bring the goods, and actually you're quite generous to bring this to the world. You are. You're going to provide such business benefit. You're going to provide maybe some kind of automation or some kind of huge return on the revenue line for the investments that they get. And you've got to get it into your head that you're actually being quite generous bringing this to them. Because without you, they wouldn't have that. 
this has been fantastic, and we gotta go. Uh, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Um, we're gonna go live in a heartbeat. Charlie, I wanna thank you so much, man. Put your hands together for Charlie Hackerson. What do we think? What'd you learn? Well, if you like that, check out coffeeclosers.com for upcoming episodes, recordings, and more. And don't forget to check out our sponsors. Each one has been hand-selected. They are best in class. Until next time, we'll see you at the next Coffee and Closers. Cheers. Say live, come on live. Live a life we love. Gotta live, I said live. Live a life we love.